This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au As I mentioned earlier, we have the great privilege of uh, Pastor Don Redden being with us this morning from City Light Church in Adelaide. So why don't you give it up for Don as he joins me on stage? Hey, bro. Howdy. We have known Don and Beck for the last six years or so, and our friendship really formed out of a common network that we're a part of called Acts 29. Don is the lead pastor of City Light Church Adelaide, a family of churches in Adelaide, as well as the SA director for Acts 29 South Australia. Yeah. Uh, and um, we've, we've loved journeying with these guys. Very similar churches, very similar stage of uh, planting, although you guys have planted way more churches than we have because you, you've done three and some. Uh, we're really excited that you're here with us to preach the word this morning, but quickly tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Don, married to Beck for 14 years and 12 days, and we have three kids, seven, five, and two um, beautiful kids. I'll introduce you to them a little bit later. Uh, we live in South Australia. I've lived there for 23 years, moved there for uni, um, intended to be there for one year and still live there. So that's, that's basically us. We have chickens. Chickens. Um, and my wife is bugging me for a dog. So really? We, we have none of that because uh, in the inner west, no you chickens. don't have either a backyard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or if you do, it's about as big as this square that we're standing in here. So no chickens, no dogs. Yeah, we have a jungle for a backyard. It's Great. Uh, Lucky it's you. ridiculous. Um, Hashtag Adelaide. Yeah. Uh, if anyone yeah. wants to move to Adelaide, you can buy a house <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> can you tell us briefly how you came to faith in Jesus yourself? Yeah. So I was born into a family that loved Jesus, both of my folks. Uh, my mom grew up a Christian in a Christian home. My dad became a Christian uh, as an adult, and uh, he was in Bible college when I was born, and um, so I've got an older sister, had a younger brother, and uh, I remember at a very young age, just being surrounded by love, and I don't remember any time of not knowing Jesus, but I remember about seven, just sitting down in my bed and, and talking to God and saying, God, I just I want to live for you, I don't, um, you know, I don't want anything else, but just whatever you have for me, and so that would be basically that time, and then also remember um, a couple of years after I moved to Adelaide, my younger brother, I was 19, he was 16, he was killed in a car accident. And uh, my parents, obviously, I mean, the whole family, understandable grief and shock. And my parents, man, just devastated to lose a kid <clears throat> at 16. And so uh, for me, it was a time of obviously great grief as well, but realized how much of my own faith had been anchored in my parents' faith uh, to see them not necessarily wrestle with faith, but just in every other way not be able to do anything for about six months. Uh, and he was, my dad was a pastor of the church that I was at, but not at all at that stage for, for those six months. And so, yeah, for me, it was like, okay, I need to reorient or take my hope out of it being anchored in my parents and really uh, put my whole identity and whole hope in the person and work of Jesus. So those are the two real kind of formational times for me. Yeah, well, praise God. Um, why church planting? Obviously, you guys have planted a church. You're going to tell us a little bit of your story uh, uh, later on. But yeah. why is church planting important? Oh, boy. In two minutes. In two minutes? <laughs> church planting important? Um, well, I never intended to be a church planter or church pastor, actually. Uh, very happy doing what I was doing, which is working in media, like 
radio, a uh, bit of TV and things of this nature and very happy to pursue that. And uh, yet, in Adelaide at least, I don't know what it's like in Sydney, but in Adelaide, just nowhere near enough labourers for the task of reaping the harvest, nowhere near enough gospel light in the dark places. Adelaide is one of the most livable cities in the world always, basically in the top five, although we've been bumped down to like top 10 in recent years. Uh, but nevertheless, one of the most comfortable, easiest places to live uh, in the world. And so on the face of it, beautiful beaches, relaxed lifestyle. Uh, like I preach in barefoot or thongs most weeks. Uh, gives you an idea of kind of the, the culture there. And yet, uh, such spiritual darkness and wandering, as in like a wonder what life is all about uh, and just nowhere near enough people or groups, like communities of people actually being that gospel light. Mm. So we need more churches. Amen. In Adelaide, at least. It's true in Sydney. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, hey, we love you on back. Tash and I have um, been, it's so joyful getting to know you guys and it's been a long time coming having you visit us at Anchor. We have been so inspired looking ahead down the church plant journey of what it looks like to be a church planting church. I'm super thankful for your leadership and your friendship um, and we'd love you to bring the word for us. All right, love to. Thank you. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts. Father God, I want to thank you for your scriptures. Thank you that you have, you didn't just leave us to try to figure things out by ourselves, but that you've given us these words, your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your church. And so we're so thankful to you. Thank you for being among us by your Spirit today. Would you minister to our hearts and to our minds? We want to go away more like Jesus, uh, getting more of the mind of Christ, being more on your mission, knowing more of who we are in you, who you are in your goodness, your beauty, your majesty and your power, your mercy and your love towards us, and your plan for this world and our part in it. And so help us to this end in Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen. So I need to say, we, so when I say we, I mean myself and my wife and our church, City Light Church in Adelaide. Uh, it's a family of churches, four churches. We started the first City Light Church in Glenelg, like almost literally right on the beach. You could actually throw a rock from where we met, which was in this like community, they called it a community center, but it was really like an old folks home. Uh, it uh, had that old folks home kind of smell. Uh, it's a picture of a queen on the wall, you know, tinsel from three Christmases ago, that kind of stuff. Um, and we, we were 12 people that started in this, like, small community center, old folks community center. Uh, and, and we, from afar, this, this little church had turned into a family of four churches now, and we're working on a couple more churches at the moment. We have been looking at Anchor Church in Sydney, inspired by you guys. And we, my wife and I had been... Now, we have loved our friendship with Matt and Tash and with uh, many of your leaders who we've grown to know uh, over the last many years and been inspired by you, encouraged by you, motivated by you. Uh, when we've had things, we've been thinking, man, I wonder, I wonder how other people are doing these things, being able to call upon you and hearing about your context and what you're doing and learning has been just so beneficial and great for us. We love you guys. We pray for you. So thankful for you. And it really is an honor for me to be able to close out your vision series by talking about church planting and why you would be a church planting church. And I mean, really, if there's one thing that I've heard, I'm over here, uh, or was over here the last couple of days for the Acts 29 church planting 
regional conference for Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. And at that conference, I'm hearing, yeah, church planning, church planning is important. We've got to be church planning. And then when I step outside of the conference, what I hear from other people is, man, city doesn't need churches. We've got churches. Haven't you heard? I mean, you've heard it. In fact, I've heard from many of you, like specifically in this room, that you have been told by other people, Sydney doesn't need more churches. Haven't you heard? There is complete freedom everywhere. All the churches are full. There's no more gospel need, no more darkness, no more brokenness, no more broken hearts and broken relationships and broken homes. Haven't you heard? The work is done. We don't need any more churches. This is amazing. It's awesome. Adelaide needs more churches. <laughs> Sydney doesn't need any more churches. It's phenomenal. Uh, well, yeah, obviously, I'm being a little facetious. Um, we need more churches, man. The, the, one of the things that strikes me about when Jesus was on earth, about his earthly ministry, he would say that the harvest is abundant. It's bountiful. It's plentiful. There is way, 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 way too much for us to do and us to handle. And yet the workers are so few. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send workers into the field. Pray, ask, ask God. It's only a thing that God can do. Don't you know? By ourselves, with our best strategies, with our best of intentions, with our greatest minds, uh, we can't actually do the thing that God has put in front of us to do. It's only in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's only if Jesus himself builds his church. It's only if God sends the laborers that we can do anything. Now, we planted 2012. <clears throat> uh, we were 12 people, my wife and myself, and 10 kids. I'm talking like 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds. And uh, if that's you, I'm, I apologize for calling you kids. You, you're not kids. You are adults, and uh, I'm sure you're doing a really, really great work. Um, but for us, as we met for our very first week in this little community hall, that smelt of whatever old people do in, when they're doing community hall stuff, um, we wanted to be a church planning church. We were 12 people. I mean, we were, we were kids. We didn't know what we were doing, really. We looked around and we thought, Adelaide needs more churches. We were called the city of churches. People still call us the city of churches. And really, we are the city of church, formerly church-owned buildings that are now bridal boutiques and cafes and, I mean, all kinds of crazy retail things. Certainly not the, the city of the church. So we needed more churches. So when we first met together, 12 people, we talked about we are birthing a new church pregnant with more churches. It's a little baby church and yet pregnant with more churches. Couldn't see them, didn't know who the leaders were going to be. We had, again, 19, 20-year-old people who were like, yes, we will go and lead those churches in a decade or two. But we're like, man, we, we, there is, so, again, one of the most amazing places materially to live in the entire world, and, and not just the world today, but that has ever existed in the history of the world is a city that, that I live, and this city as well, man, on the scale of things, what a phenomenal, phenomenal city. I lived in Sydney for a couple of years back in the day, uh, amazing, amazing city, and yet you don't have to walk far to see the desperate gospel need, the, the utter darkness around us. For people to say there's no more need of, of any more churches is 
uh, I, I don't want to be too harsh, but it is a foolish thing to say. So we want to start a church, birth a church, pregnant with another church. When we first launched our church, December 2012, we had just had our first kid, Isaiah. This is Isaiah. Let me show you a photo of Isaiah. <clears throat> we call him Zai. Super cool. Uh, he's a couple of years into school, loves school, super smart, a little bit nerdy. Um, he does, he's on our production team at church. Uh, seven, just turned seven, November last year. He, he does the words, so he just has to press the next button. Um, he can read, and he has to read real fast. So uh, that's helpful for him, and he's really good for it. Beautiful kid, legendary dude. Uh, next kid is Harvey. He does not take a good photo, but he is the cutest <laughs> kid. He has that um, double eyelash kind of mutation that uh, people want, apparently. Uh, beautiful kid, lovely kid. Uh, he did not talk until he was three. He would speak like a magpie, like until literally he was three years old and then kabam overnight speaking in sentences. He did not walk, we couldn't, he didn't like, we, oh man, he didn't walk for a long time as well. And so we're like, oh man, at what stage do we like become worried about his walking? But what we didn't realize was he was practicing when nobody could see him. And if he noticed us watching him practice, he would get down and crawl. He just didn't want to see people, uh, he didn't want people seeing him trying until he could do it. Amazing. Uh, our last kid, Eva, she is the cheekiest kid. She walks up to Beck just before this photo was taken and says, Mom, I need a shower. That's paint, by the way. Although, because it's Eva, could very easily have been anything. Super smart kid, super cheeky kid, as you can tell by the grin and by the paint on her face. Man, she gets into some mischief. Uh, lovely, wonderful kids. But Isaiah came one month before we planted our, before you launched that church. Uh, but man, he was a long time coming. So we, we've now been married for 14 years. He is seven years old. And we waited a long time for him. We wanted kids. In fact, we wanted a lot of kids. I wanted a lot of kids. I was like, let's have heaps of kids. And Beck, my wife, said, let's see how we go each kid. And, <laughs> and that was wisdom. But man, we wanted kids, and they didn't come easy. Uh, the, I don't know, I mean, I'm assuming that uh, the you know, schooling system in Sydney is similar to in, um, in Adelaide, where you learn when a mummy and a daddy love each other, uh, the, the natural outworking of a, a healthy relationship when, bodies, when the body's working as it should is reproduction. That wasn't our story. Our story was one of difficulty and grief. And we, th we were thinking, man, the natural outworking of of this relationship and our bodies, if they're working properly, is reproducing. And instead it was, again, frustrating. And, I mean, not devastating, but um, very difficult, especially when, like, my sister and Beck's brother, they started having kids, or our good friends around our age, they would get pregnant with their first kid, and we wouldn't get pregnant. And we'd think, okay, well, we, we really want to have kids together with our friends, so we'll catch them on the next kid. And then the next, like, string of kids would come along and be like, oh, no, we missed this one as well. We'll catch them on the next kid. And then the next kid. Uh, one family, we caught them on the fifth kid <laughs> with our first kid. It wasn't even getting pregnant that was that difficult. It was just staying pregnant, which just compounded the grief. Because it's not... 
as it should be. The natural order of things would be reproducing. We see this in, in the creation mandate. Uh, God creates the first humans and he says, go fill the earth, subdue it, be fruitful and multiply. You see after, after the flood, uh, Noah and his kids and, and his family, and God comes to them and says, be fruitful and multiply, go fill the earth. I see the Tower of Babel, they say, we don't want to do that, we want to come together. And God confuses the languages and says, no, 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 go and be fruitful and multiply. Reproducing is the natural outworking of the order of things. For the church, after the resurrection, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Or as you go, make disciples. He's, he's reiterating that creation method. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Before the ascension, he gathers his disciples together. And again, he, really, he reiterates this. He says, you're going to go everywhere to the ends of the earth. Be my witnesses. Be fruitful and multiply. And so the natural order of things for a mum and a dad who love each other very much is reproduction. And the natural order of things for the church is to reproduce. That is the natural order of things. Uh, Jesus prays a prayer, a very famous prayer in John 17. It's, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. And in this prayer, he prays for his like, fl uh, fledgling church. This new, like, he's just establishing this, this body. He's brought them together. He's discipled them. He's invested in them. He's poured into them. He's taught them. And he is getting ready for when he goes. And he's, he's trying to help them understand what they're there for. And this is what he prays. This is Jesus praying to his Father for his people. He says to his Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's praying for his people, saying to, to his Father, don't take them out of the world. You might, you might have had this thought or been asked this question or even asked this question. Man, when we become Christians, why doesn't God just zap us out? There's just so much pain in this world. We're, the world is still stained with sin. There's so much darkness. Why would we possibly still be here? But Jesus asks for his people that he's gathered. He says, Father, don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. They, he goes on, are not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so he's praying to his Father. But we already know, Jesus told us in another time, that he prays out loud so that the people can hear what he's praying. So that he's, there is some like, teaching or pedagogical element in this as well, where he's asking his Father, uh, don't take them out of the world, sanctify them in the truth, and your word is the truth. As you've sent me, Jesus is praying, so I am sending them. So in the same way that the Father sent the Son into the world to seek and save that which was lost, Jesus is sending his disciples into the world. We can read about this in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, throughout the New Testament, we see how they were sent into the world and the fruit that they bore. And he goes on. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. He's foreshadowing what's about to happen. And then he then he prays something amazing. He says, I do not ask for these only, the ones that were gathered there, his apostles, his disciples, but also for those 
who will believe in me through their word. And so here, 2,000-ish years ago, Jesus is facing down the cross, and he prays for those who are gathered around him, and he, then he prays for you, the person sitting in your seat right now. Jesus is praying for you. What does he pray? He prays for you, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's praying for you, that you would be in him in the same way, to the same degree, that Jesus, the God the Son, is in and united with God the Father. This is Jesus praying for you. If you've, ever, if you've ever wondered if God hears your prayers, He absolutely does. If you've ever wondered if your prayers are effective, man, I, I, I can speak from my experience uh, in planting this church, Cedar Light, and then the churches that we've planted out of Cedar Light. Everything that we can see, that we can look at and, and think and say, this is good, has been a direct answer to a specific prayer. God answers. He loves to answer the prayers of His children. And that's you. Now imagine like God the Son praying. Do you think His prayers are effective? His prayers are effective. And He's praying that you would be united to each other and united to Him so that the world may believe that Jesus was sent from the Father. He goes on, The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. So again, he's, he's, he's laboring this point that we would be unified. That they may become perfectly one so that there would be no like divisions. So you don't see where one finishes and the next one starts. That we would have this kind of unity. Unity in love. A few chapters earlier, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. He says, a new commandment, John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. What a challenge. He says, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, you belong to me, if you love one another. He is commanding unity. He's praying for unity. He wants to see the same kind of love with which he has loved you, expressed and embodied in the love that you have for those people sitting around you, in your gospel communities. And that as you put this love on display, a watching world will know that you belong to Jesus because only he has that kind of love. And he goes on. So that, why? Why, why all of this? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. This is, this is the goal of all of this. Why would we bring up this when we're talking about church planting? So that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you love me. There's something in the unity we have. There's something in living a life congruent with who we are in Jesus, embodying the gospel in community in our unity. And as we go as sent ones, just as the Father sent the Son, just as Jesus sent his apostles, so too are we sent into the world. And in our sentness, we herald the glorious gospel that Jesus was sent from the Father and has loved the world. He loves the people we're sent to. He loves the people we live amongst. If you're here today, you, you don't know Jesus. He loves you. He knows what you're going through. 
You might be thinking, man, you don't know what I've done. But he does. You might be thinking, you don't know the thoughts that go through my mind. How could anybody love me? We're talking about, we're not just talking about like a Marvel superhero, like a slightly souped up human. We're talking about the purely volitional creator of the universe who like whispers and galaxies have to come into existence in obedience to his voice. He knows you. He made you. He sustains our life. Your very next breath is because of him. And not, not only does he know you, he loves you. And we know he loves us because he sent the perfect righteous one of heaven, Jesus, to live the perfect life we couldn't live and die a death that we deserve. You're right in that you don't deserve that love, but you're wrong that you can't be loved. He loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you. That's why he has his church. That's why he didn't take his apostles out of the world. So that you would know that he was sent from the Father and that he loves you. He sent the apostles. He's sending you to. This word church, we're talking about church planting, this word church, um, <clears throat> I know you don't want a Greek lesson today, so we won't do that. But one word, uh, one of the words for churches is this word ecclesia. Ek, coming from out, and kaleo, coming from called, meaning we are the called out ones. Jesus has just prayed for this. They are not of the world. They are out of the world. They are called out of the world. And yet, he is sending us back into the world. We're sent out, we're called out, sorry, and sent back into the world to represent the king of the kingdom of God, the king of the kingdom of heaven, the king of love, the creator king, to bear witness of the love of God so that the world may know. It's the same deal, the same message over and over and over again, go be fruitful and multiply. For us in our church plant, this looked like, again, 12 people. We had six people in the band, six people in chairs, literally, on our first week. And we uh, just like divided down the middle. We said, okay, now we've got two gospel communities. Our goal is to multiply these gospel communities. It could be fruitful and multiply. We have this one new baby church, but we are pregnant with more churches. But God's grace, over the last four years, we, um, we, we had grown. We saw, man, we saw many people come to know Jesus in our first couple of years. Uh, one person who had come along, um, who had, hadn't really been in church for a long time, came along because his mate from soccer became a Christian and he wanted to make sure he weren't some sort of cult. He has this kind of like revitalized faith. Uh, then his cousin comes along to wonder, you know, wonder what's going on here. He becomes a Christian. His brother comes along, becomes a Christian. Parents come along, they become a Christian. Other cousins come along, they find freedom in Christ because of what he's done. And we were like, this is awesome, this is great, this is, this is part of what a healthy church does. It embodies the gospel. We love each other just like Christ has loved us. We lay down our preferences and our proclivities and our desires and we favor the other. We, Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And yet we also, as is the natural order of things, want to reproduce 
So four years ago, we sent a bunch of people off to plant in another part of town. Uh, and it was costly for us. We weren't, we were a couple hundred people at that stage. We sent 40 of our best musos, best leaders, um, best preachers, biggest givers, biggest welcomers. And they've borne just significant amount of fruit. And now they're looking to plant. Um, three years ago, we planted in another part of town, a very difficult part of town. Um, very, lots and lots of crime. They've just had their, I think, third convicted murderer become a Christian. Uh, lots of, um, one of their biggest like pastoral concerns is people out on parole stuffing up and going back into prison. Um, oh man, I don't have time to share more stories, but phenomenal, phenomenal stories of God's grace, but costly. We sent people who became Christians at Glenelg, the church that we started, who became Christians there, who were like sons and daughters in the faith, to myself and my wife, that we, we sent there and entrusted to other people and other planter and other communities. Um, every time, we've, we've it's both, both been happy and sad. Just a month ago, we sent another 50 people south, plant another church, again, sent our best preacher, sent half of our eldership team, our best givers, our best, like our greatest, like hospitality people, um, because this is what healthy churches do. It's natural to reproduce. Should feel frustrating, should feel a little grievous to be only an introspective, inward-looking church that doesn't look to reproduce. It's like, um, again, to carry on that, parenting analogy, um, planting a church is not like giving birth to a church, it's like incubating a church, a little kid, like we've got three kids now, and it will one day be sad and joy-filled joy for us to be able to launch them into the world as adults that, by God's grace, know Him and trust Him and have something to offer to the world, uh, certainly of heriting His goodness, but also of, of being able to solve some problems in the world. That, that will be not job done, but that will be next step. And for us, that's like launching a church. We incubate the church. We know the church. We love the church. We pour into the church. And we hope that we have a healthy family with which to launch out a healthy family. We want to have a healthy family. We want to have a place where people are loving one another. We want to have a place where if it's not costly to send, then we've, we've been deficient in our community, in our love, in giving of ourselves, of laying down our desire for comfort and bringing people into our worlds. Because when we send people, every time we've sent a church, man, it's, it's tears every time. But also great joy every time because this is the natural order of things, what we're supposed to be doing. In fact, it's what we are called to, to plant. And yet it's sad because we love these people. We've done life with these people. Our family is not the same when they're gone. We're a different makeup of family. And yet, this is the thing to which we've been called. Why is this important to you? Here's why it's important to you. Because you are in a church planning church. You are, you are right now pregnant with another church, if you like. In fact, you've, you've, you've really birthed, you have, you've birthed and you are incubating and you are investing into and you are pouring into a church that's about to go. You are loving one another and investigating one another and doing mission together and part of you is 
about to be like perforated along one edge of your body and carved out to go and start a new missional endeavor somewhere else. The Spirit has activated you as a community to go and reproduce. And for you personally, this means you are either in a community that is about to launch and you're about to have those gospel goodbyes, or you yourself are about to leave and go and start a new missional endeavor. It's a big deal, but this is the thing to which we've been called. It's uncomfortable, but it's natural. And here's the thing, Jesus prayed for this. You're answering Jesus' own prayer. And not only Jesus' prayer, you're answering others' prayers as well. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 9. He says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers out into his harvest. Firstly, it's his harvest. Secondly, he's the Lord of the harvest. It's his, it's his endeavor. It's his world. It's his work. But the world is still blind and in darkness. And God loves them. And he wants them to know that he loves them. He wants them to know that he sent Jesus so that they no longer have to live in light of their sin and their shame and their brokenness and that, oh man, you don't know what I've done or what, I'm, what goes through my mind. All of those things have been covered by the blood of the perfect Holy One of heaven. It's amazing news. And there are people in Sydney now who are praying for their friends and for their family that they will come to know Jesus they would walk in the same freedom in which you walk. And as we go, as we're activated by the Spirit and go into new parts of the city uh, where there's not enough gospel activity, not enough light on a stand, giving, you know, dispelling the darkness, uh, then you may be the answer to their prayers, that you would be the one sent into the harvest. So you'll be the answer to someone's prayer. You'll be the answer to Jesus' prayer, and in fact, we know He has already gone before us. It's His work. It's our joy. Does this make sense? So my question to you is, uh, to whom has God sent you? Is it the, the people in this community? Certainly it will be. People in this neighborhood? People in the neighborhoods surrounding your gospel communities? Just your, like, next-door neighbors? your sporting clubs, your tertiary institutions, your workplaces, your families. Uh, you have been sent by God. You are the answer to Jesus' own prayer. What if we actually lived in light of this? What if we lived as sent ones? What if we lived as like perpetually pregnant in our communities, that we would, we would long to start new gospel communities and reproduce. We would long to start new churches. It would be just the culture of this church to be looking to, not just, not just what's next, we want to be planting healthy churches out of healthy churches. So for some of you, it'll be to stay here and to be constantly investing into people and constantly saying goodbye to people as they plant over the years into Lord willing, many, many multiple new mission endeavors, mission endeavors, new churches. To invest and to minister amongst and to love and be the example so that when people go out, they've had this example, they've been discipled and then they can go and do the same thing themselves. And maybe for you again, it'll be the one who goes 
leaves your comfortable neighborhood, leaves your comfortable GC, leaves this phenomenal church to step into the unknown, although the one thing about the unknown is it's not unknown to God. He's, he is the Lord of the harvest. He's gone before preparing good works in advance for you to walk in, if you would just go walk in them. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for your work in us, bringing us into your kingdom, plucking us out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into your own kingdom, the kingdom of light, into your own family, adopting us as daughters and sons, loving us with the same love you love your son Jesus. This is outrageous for us to think about this, Lord. Would you help us to receive this? Help us to know this, to know that nothing, now nothing can separate us from you and your love. There's no more condemnation for us. All of our past sins are covered over. All of our future sin is covered over. Help us not to take this as license to sin, but that we would, in response to your love, lean into your love and please you with our lives. Live congruently with who you've made us. Live in light of and in the power of your Holy Spirit that lives within us. Father, you've been so good to us. And we, we don't want to try to pay you back. We can't do that. But we do want to live for your glory. We do want to be that light that you've made us to be, the light of the world, the city set on a hill, the lamp on a stand that gives light to all in the house. We want to go into those dark places, those places where there, is, there are people who know of their need and those dark places that, from a material perspective, look amazing, but at a soul level, there's great darkness. Help us to be your light in the world. Father, my request for this church is that it would be a church-planting church. You, you would use this group of people, this body, this family, um, for prolific planting throughout Sydney, and not just out of this church, but out of those churches as well, and that other churches would likewise um, be revitalized and themselves plant out um, because of what you're doing in and through this church here. I pray for the leadership. I pray for those um, gospel community leaders, ministry leaders. I ask on behalf of everybody that calls Anchor home that they would be about the business of launching or leaving for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.